Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is a Ken Burton podcast story, the unredacted series, and you are very welcome. Let me give a big shout out before we start to the uh, many subscribers who have subscribed to Spotify. It's $2 a month. I know that is like, that's not even a coffee, but it means an awful lot to me that you guys have put your hands in your pockets and you have subscribed to the channel. And in celebration of that, I'm going to make this one a free one. Uh, So anyway, guys, uh, welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is... uh, Another podcast story from the Unredacted series. These are the stories that we couldn't tell. Now, um, those of you who don't know anything about these podcasts, these are stories. Stories from the 1980s. Stories from Coventry back in the 1980s when the whole city was run by a big family uh, that basically we worked for. We did bits and pieces for. And this is why we were known as fag end gangsters <laughs> it was quite interesting but i spoke to uh, an american chap right who uh, we were talking about doing an interview anyway uh, i was talking to him and he said where does this where does this come from this fag end you know because over here that means something completely different <laughs> well of course it does but American is very different to English, as I discovered when I was out there in the Americas, in Los Angeles. And um, within two days of me being there, I walked across the road. Nothing funny about that, I know. But A, I looked the wrong way. B, I didn't hear an electric car. And C, the fucker ran me down. (laughs) Two days I was in Los Angeles and I got knocked down by a car. It was only doing three miles an hour. It just pulled out of a junction. But oh my God, it was funny. And this guy gets out and he goes, oh my God, oh my God. And I I went, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he went, oh my God, I ran over a Brit. (laughs) As As if that would matter. And then the guy went into utter panic mode that I was... I wanted to call the police and I'd be suing him and all this. It wasn't your fault, mate. I walked into the road and I was like, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. And he was actually shocked that I was ready to walk away from this. It was so funny. But to top it all, I did that twice. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) <laughs> I was out there uh, for quite a while, a um, good few months, and um, I did it uh, second day out there. And then I did it again probably about a month in. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, I just wasn't thinking. And I just walked out in front of this car. <laughs> he must... <laughs> He must have gone into absolute fucking panic mode, really. I mean, how stupid are we? Um, The traffic is coming from the other direction. (laughs) Look the other way. In fact, children, look both ways when you're crossing the road. Do not do what I did. It is not clever. 
uh, and it hurts. <laughs> so the only damage I had was I had a fucking great big bruise where this thing had hit me. But apart from that, it was fine. Anyway, uh, so, um, yeah, the, the term fag end. <sighs> so it comes from, um, the, I think the first time I ever heard the term fag end uh, was we used to have this thing when we were in school called twos. And uh, many, many people of my age who smoked then will remember this. Uh, but you used to go up to somebody, one of your classmates who was smoking, and you would say to him, uh, two's up, mate. And it's the last two drags of the fag of the cigarette. The last two puffs of the cigarette is um, the fag end. And uh, this is where the term came from. And it became a derogatory term to mean anything, really. Um, I've got um, I've got a lovely piece of wood. I'm going to go and do some carpentry, but it's fag end on the left there. You know, it's it it. it oh, not me, Mike. Hold on. So it's it's just meant to be a derogatory term of the lowest of the low, lower than a snake's dick, um, which <laughs> is about where we were on the pecking order of the family so we did all the grunt work right we did all the grunt work um now bit of a disclaimer all any parts of this podcast may or may not be true it is up to you the listener to decide whether or not you believe it or you don't it is entirely your choice i don't mind but listen to it i hope you enjoy it this is undercover now, very good reason why I couldn't discuss this one until now was um, various people that were involved in this are no longer around. And I found out an awful lot of information a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now. Uh, I went to a family event and there was a guy there who used to run with us. He was he didn't run with our crowd, but he was very heavily involved with the family. Uh, did an awful lot of business with them, uh, mainly with brothels, but that's another story. But um, I bumped into him and we sat down and we, we were there for an hour, hour and a half, talking about the old days, the people that are no longer around, the places that don't exist anymore, Buster's Nightclub, Park Lane, you know... Uh, the, the pubs still exist, uh, and I do pass them. I've still got family in Coventry, and I do pass the pubs every now and then. And I, I just kind of go, oh, my God. You know, I wonder what that place is like now. I made the utter mistake probably a, about a year ago of going into one of my old haunt pubs, uh, thinking, I wonder who I'm going to meet in here. Am I going to meet old Charlie in the corner. Is Dave going to be sat at his bar stool? You know, thinking, this was 30 years ago, guys. <laughs> so, and I walked in, I walked in, and it's now a gastro pub. <laughs> My God. <laughs> and it was full of what we used to call yuppies. Uh, because of its location, it's near some quite posh places and the, the, 
was kind of fully yuppies and uh you know oh i'll have a glass of chardonnay darling you know oh my god if you'd have asked for a glass of chardonnay at that bar in that pub 30 years ago you would have lost your legs mate <laughs> there is no doubt so anyway um yeah so uh this particular podcast story is called Undercover. Very good, very good reason why uh, I couldn't talk about this before. I really wanted to record this one um, because it's kind of, it's it's comedy and tragedy and then, then there's a twist, okay? Um, and the, that's kind of the way that it is. So anyway, um, Undercover. So... I won't identify the time, but it was mid-1980s to late-1980s. Now, a lot of what happened uh, with the family, uh, the police knew about. And we had the West Midlands Serious Crime Squad were involved. Every police officer that walked the beat uh, or did any paperwork or was anywhere near the city at that time, or the surrounding areas, I might add, would know who the family were and who the faces were who were connected to the family, all right? Now, the cops did an awful lot of work. Occasionally, they got lucky. Occasionally, they would nick somebody in the act, or um, if they knew that something had been going on and that there was serious money involved or whatever, uh, and they couldn't get him for that, they'd wait um, until they knew intelligence came in that a job was going down, and then they would bust this guy coming out of his house, knowing full well that he'd be carrying a gun. And uh, there were quite a few people back in those days who were done for arms offences. Not that it was that big a deal back then. The... <sighs> Now, if if you get caught carrying a gun now, um, you are going to really suffer firearms offences left, right and centre, okay? Back then, it was um, possession of a deadly weapon or whatever it was. And uh, it carried about a six-month sentence, which you got out in three months. So, it, I mean, it was hardly worth going for that. But... If the coppers wanted to get rid of somebody, then that's what they'd do. But they were getting cleverer and cleverer and cleverer. And uh, where we lived, where where I lived at the time, uh, they actually built a new police station. <laughs> there was an old police station, but it got broken into. <laughs> kept getting broken into it wasn't manned all the time and so, so it wasn't manned at weekends for instance and so they kept breaking into this police station anyway uh they built a new one state of the art lovely place absolutely brilliant place uh i went in there many many times and uh yeah it was it was really nice cutting edge for the for the time and um a new uh i don't know if he was a chief inspector whether he was a chief constable or what he was but a new boss came in uh and he was in cid and uh he was very good 
He was very good and really determined. He had... He acted almost like he had a grudge against the family. I saw this guy maybe three times in court cases for various things. Uh, not against me. I, I would just, you know, I attended. Uh, sometimes as a witness, um, but I attended. And I saw this guy in the dock on at least three occasions. He was relentless. He was vindictive. Uh, he would talk about he would talk about the family as being a cancer on the city. You know, he was one of those. And uh, this is why one of the reasons why I couldn't talk about this before. People will know who I'm talking about. Right. A lot of people will know every police officer that was on the beat or working for the force at that time will know who I'm talking about. Uh because he was absolutely fucking relentless. And um, what he did was he, he came up with all these initiatives, operations. And one of these operations, and I, I have to tell you, this had been done before, but he came up with an idea of um, using two Irish police officers who uh, had lived in... Uh, in and around the area for quite a while he used them to be undercover and both of these guys were brand new to the police force so they weren't known they weren't street coppers they'd never been on the beat and they were taken straight out of the police training college and brought in to be trained as undercover and these two guys ingratiated themselves into us into the environment the only problem was everybody knew that these two guys were undercover police <laughs> the only the only people that didn't know they were they were undercover police was the two coppers who were the undercover police they didn't realize everyone else knew everybody knew Absolutely everybody knew. But our instruction came down from the family that we should um, tell them nothing, right? Give them nothing, but make them feel at home. And that's exactly what we did. So anyway, the first time I met these two guys, my my mum's Irish and uh, I've got a lot of Irish family. I... I I actually, do you know what? There's a part of me that feels that I was born in the wrong place because I genuinely think I I feel Irish. And uh, I, I wish, I wish that that's where I'd grown up. I genuinely do. But uh, anyway, so um, these two guys, first time I ever met them, they come into the pub and they'd been in... 10, 15 times over three or four months. And they got to know a few people and were saying hello to a few people. And then uh, I was at the bar and uh, one of these guys came over and he's like, hey, are you all right? Uh, how, are you, how are you doing? You all right? And I'm, I'm like, uh, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How, how are you boys doing? Ah, yeah, we're all right. You know, look, looking for some work, uh, trying, trying to get some work done here. 
Uh, right, okay. Well, uh, I'll certainly keep my ear open. My name's Ken, by the way. Oh, I draw you drawing Paddy and his Murphy. Those aren't their names. But, you know, and he went off. And then the next time they came in, they came in and he was like, Ken, how are you? Ken, you're you're over for a drink, Derek. Do you want a Guinness? Ken, do you want a Guinness? <laughs> Yeah, get me a Guinness, why not? And they came over and sat with us. And uh, we were chewing the fat. We were talking about my mum. We were talking about where my family come from in Dublin. And, you know, uh, we talked about the troubles. And uh, it was really interesting, actually, because we were in a group of maybe 10 of us. And at least eight out of the 10 of our guys had no fucking idea what the troubles were even about. I mean, they knew that the British had gone over there en masse with uh, with the army and uh, they knew about Bloody Sunday and they knew about the IRA and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and the But they didn't understand the whole Protestant and Catholic thing. They didn't understand, you know, the history of it and the black and tans and all of this sort of stuff. And... I was, I was really quite disappointed with that. But I remember that night, we had a history lesson. These two guys absolutely went off on one about history. Um, and we got on really, really well with them. Well, the, the next time we met them, um, I think it wasn't at the pub. I think they turned up at Buster's, the nightclub. And uh, we're there as a group. And there, there must have been... 20 of us and out of those 26 seven of them are girls and uh we're dancing with with you know messing around we're doing this doing that you know we're chewing the fat as you do trying to hear yourself think and these two guys and we like, oh patty murphy over here over here you want a drink you want a drink what are you drinking what are you drinking so um they come over and uh you know, a couple of beers there, a couple of beers. Nah, fuck your beers. Get us four whiskeys, four whiskeys. <laughs> so, <laughs> we sat there drinking and uh, the girls were, because they were, they were new people, as with any new people. And they were both good looking guys, you know. Um, and I guess, I guess age wise... Probably one of them was about 20 and the other one about 22, I would have said, around that sort of age. But, um, yeah, the girls were chatting to them and we were chatting to them. And the girls knew they were as well. <laughs> and they were just fascinated by these guys. So, anyway, I go over for a, a piss or whatever, but I'm walking towards the the toilets and uh, there's a member of the family over there and he said, um, can you do me a favour? Can you do something for me? I said, what? He said, why don't you, um, within earshot of these two guys, have a, I want to just try something out. Go and talk to your mate about the big job that's going down in the town centre on uh, Monday, Monday night. And I went, what big job? He went, yeah, exactly. There is no big job. Go to go to it. I'm just really interested. So I was right, okay. So um, I, <laughs> I went over to my mate and I, I just whispered in his ear. I said, just go along with us. And I said, uh, hey, hey, you heard what's going on on Monday? 
And it, the, the Irish guys are earwigging this. And it, my mate goes, no, what? So, you know, the, the family are going to do the fucking Midland right in the town centre, like a stone's throw away from the fucking cop shop, for Christ's sake. It's, you can see the police station from, from where the Midland is. They're going to do the Midland. Midland was a bank, by the way, back in the day. Uh, I used to bank with them, in fact. And a um, uh, little story about the Midland, all right? Little <laughs> story within a story. Yeah, yeah, the lucky ones. So um, when it came to mortgage time and trying to get a mortgage, um, my, I knew that I was going to struggle because uh, I'd got no provable employment history, really. Having worked for the family and been bent as a nine bob, no, I, I really had no history. I knew I would struggle to get a mortgage. But let me tell you what I did have. I had a bank manager who two years before had been given a producer by the police because his wife was caught driving a car without an MOT and therefore no insurance. Oh dear, couldn't be, uh, couldn't be happening, could it? Anyway, I just happened to be in the bank at that point and I was having a conversation with the bank manager. I was trying to get a loan, I think at the time, can't remember. Was it a credit card? Can't remember. But I was chatting to the bank manager and I said, you seem quite distracted. I said, look, and he, he was talking, he he'd taken a phone call from his panicking wife halfway through our conversation. And I said, uh, is uh, everything all right? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he kind of briefly said something about it. And I went, so what you need is an MOT certificate that's backdated. And he was like, well, you can't get those, can you? Of course I'll fucking get those. <laughs> So I got this guy an MOT certificate that was backdated. She very kindly took all her documents to the police station and they went, thank you very much, madam. And she was sent on her merry way. He fucking owed me one. And that's how I got my mortgage. <laughs> right. OK, so it's not what you know, guys. Believe me. So anyway, um, so I'm stood there, my mate, and I, I'm, you know, Bigging this up, right? I was like, you know, they're going in with a shitload of cutting equipment for the safe. Yeah, are they not going to blow it? No, no, no. They got, they got fucking C4, mate. What? Yeah, sir. They got C4 and cutting equipment. They need to get through a gate, cut a gate, and then put C4 on the on the fucking vault, and then blow the vault. And he's like, bloody hell. I said, yeah, there must be like 10 guys involved in this, all within fucking eyesight of the local Nick. Well, I can see the, the two Irish guys, Paddy and Murphy, their fucking eyes have lit up. And <laughs> the night ends. Following day, we're back at the pub for lunch and uh, we're having a couple of beers and we're kind of talking between ourselves and just saying, what's going on with this? Well, we we think, right, we've tucked these guys up, but we'll wait and see, we'll wait and see. So anyway, sure enough, Monday night comes and uh, <laughs> the entire town centre 
uh, has police, undercover police, fucking everywhere. I mean, you, we were, we drove through it, right? Just, just for a laugh. We drove through it for a laugh. I must admit, but on every street corner, in every alleyway, undercover, plain clothes, fucking police, absolutely everywhere. Right? You could not move for them. They were just everywhere, and they were all undercover, all in civvies. Um, and then we we drove to a certain area where there was a car park, uh, which at that time of night, no one would be parked in it. And there must have been 30 police cars in this car park. They must have borrowed police from Leicester, from Birmingham, from fucking everywhere. <laughs> Nothing happened. So anyway, um, obviously the family knew about this and it just confirmed their suspicions really that um, uh, these guys were reporting back everything that was said. So, a um, week later, we're in the pub and uh, Paddy and Murphy are in there. Uh, it's very stereotyped, isn't it, calling them Paddy and Murphy? I shouldn't, but... A lot of Irish people are called Paddy and Murphy. So there you go. It's like Dick and Jane, isn't it? So anyway, um, these two Irish guys come in. And they come over and sat with us. And uh, we were chatting away. And I turned around to my mate and said, uh, do you know what happened on Monday? He said, what? I said, well, they went to do it. And... They couldn't help but spot. There were fucking wall-to-wall -wall coppers everywhere. And my mate's going, really? What do you think? Somebody grassed them up or something? Oh, I don't know, but they must have got wind of it. I said, because there were fucking cops all over the place. I said, so, of course, they just turned around, fucked off, do it on another day. He said, really? He said, yeah. I said, it's happening next Monday now. So, anyway... Paddy and Murphy are earwigging every fucking aspect of this. And uh, the whole night goes, um, we're only in the pub that night. And anyway, come Monday night, we drive into the town centre. And there are wall-to-wall -wall police. <laughs> Absolutely fucking everywhere again and they were in the same spots that they were last time so <laughs> like if these guys have reported back and saying you were you, you know the police were spotted um so wherever you guys were hiding uh that we're going to stop this robbery you want to go somewhere else because you were fucking seen that's why it didn't go ahead anyway um nothing happened that night following week i think it was probably the tuesday or the wednesday paddy and murphy are in there and a game was actually i was stood at the bar i do remember it and uh my mates with me and we're getting around of drinks in and one of these one of the guys paddy or murphy is behind me and i said uh you're not gonna fucking believe this he said what i said well they got to do the job again last night wall-to-wall -wall fucking coppers 
They fucking stood out a mile. They might as well have been wearing fucking silly hats with blue lights on. <laughs> anyway, this went on, I, I kid you not, for at least four or five weeks. Every fucking week. And why Mondays? Apparently they took a huge cash delivery on Mondays. Uh, and that was a known fact. Uh, so if it was ever going to get hit, it would get hit on a Monday. So anyway, these guys got fed this story every single week. And every Monday night, it became, it became regular. We would go and drive through the town centre. And it would be wall-to-wall coppers. And then the final week that we went in, we didn't see any. There was not a single cop anywhere to be seen. And we're thinking, they've given up, haven't they? They've fucking given up. Well, it turns out they hadn't given up. There were 30 or 40 firearms officers in the bank. And everyone else was back at the station on standby. So there weren't any coppers on the streets. But even so, they had a dead night because fuck all happened. <laughs> so anyway, um, over the next six months, sometimes Paddy and Murphy would sit with us. Sometimes we'd bump into them in Busters or Park Lane. Sometimes they'd go and sit with other people. But it became a kind of regular thing that not just us, but anyone, anyone who was in any way connected to the family was feeding these guys stories. And they were getting more and more outlandish. And I mean, one of, one of them involved, um, they, were, they were going to uh, bust this guy out of Winston Green using a helicopter. It was utter bollocks. It was complete bollocks, but this was fed. Anyway, these guys were undercover for probably about eight or nine months. Then all of a sudden, they fucking disappeared. But lo and behold, a group who we didn't really know moved like uh they were pretending to be a family i guess they were a group that we didn't know involving three brothers and two girls a mum uh a dad and there was a granddad involved anyway they all moved into this big house in coventry and they started to ingratiate themselves into our sort of our little circle, our rather big circle at the time, but, and it was kind of, are they coppers or are they not coppers? Because if they are, they've got a brilliant cover story. I mean, they've got, they all live in the same house, big house, big five bed house. You've got these brothers who are touting for work and then you've got the two women who are supposedly wives. And then you've got a mum and a dad. And then you've got a granddad. So if that was undercover, 
hats off to them. They really did a fucking fantastic job of putting that shit together. But there were a lot of rumours about these three brothers and the two girls. So the two girls were overly friendly. But you could never get anywhere. Right. And this was something that I found very weird about them. I mean, I'll give you an example of it. So I'm talking to one of these girls in Busters. Right? She's a little bit younger than me. Uh, very pretty. Dressed to the nines. She's very touchy-feely. She's very um, hands-on. You know, the, the sort of girl you think, well, you know, I'm going to end up having sex tonight. But when it came to it, it'd be... Oh, no, I've got something I've got to do in the morning. And, you know, I've got a family thing to do. I've got to go home. Can you call me a cab? All right, you're a cab. And, you know, that they never went all the way, although they gave all the indications. I don't know. I'm, I'm not brilliant with this. I never have been. I mean, uh, you know, women coming on to men like that was a bit of a... A weird one for me. I didn't really understand it. Um, but these girls would do that. And not only with me, but every time you saw these girls, they were talking to somebody different. And I swear these two girls were undercover. Because they, they never actually did the deed. They never went through with it. There'd be pecks on the cheek, and that is as far as it would get. And then it'd be cabs home and, you know. And the... The three brothers were didn't give a shit about the girls. They were ingratiating themselves into the circle of the family. And it just seemed very weird. Well, it wasn't probably... I mean, we tried the tra same trick. Um, I don't know why we didn't try it, but the family tried it. And they had people feeding these guys information. And uh, nothing really came of it. Or if it did, it wasn't what they expected. So they might feed them uh, information about a warehouse blag or a lorry that was going to get uh, hijacked or something like that. And sure enough, a single police car might be in the vicinity where you would expect, if they knew about what was about to happen there'd be 15, 20 police cars. So it it was kind of, it was always up in the air about this. Anyway, so um, it must have been, oh Christ, these guys must have been around for best part of a year. And uh, if they were undercover, they were fucking dedicated. Uh, the old man used to come in and just sit at the bar the granddad he used to come in just sit at the bar in the corner reading his paper and uh having a few pints he'd occasionally go and have a game of dominoes with the old lags um but what information he was gaining from them i don't know the mum and the dad never went out they were never seen uh everybody knew they were at the house but they they weren't trying to get any information. <clears throat> and I think the mum and the dad were the handlers. I think the old man 
was a retired copper they brought in to do undercover, brought back in to do undercover. So the mum and the dad are the handlers, and then you've got the two girls and the three boys. And they're kind of, you know, constantly just trying to ingratiate themselves. Well, they, they were fed and fed and fed. And even after, I don't know, probably, probably a year of this going on, nobody was absolutely sure. But nobody was giving any, anything that was real. Every, every snippet that they heard was either made up or it was just it was just something that was nothing and nobody could kind of get their heads around what was going on now probably about a year in one of these girls all of a sudden changed tack and she was starting to have a relationship with a a guy that was above us but lower than the family if you know what I mean um so he was in the middle and she started having a relationship with him not only that but she then moved in with him and because he had his own house so did the other sister and she had her own room and then these two were together. And then it wasn't very long before one of the guys started dating one of the girls that we knew, part of our crowd, on a very regular basis. And we all kind of got to the point where if this is now undercover, then it's gone too far, right? I mean, can you be undercover, but then off duty and whatever you do in your off duty is your own business? Because that's the way it seemed. They were still ingratiating themselves into the family. And true enough, uh, they they were starting to pick up some work. Um, I mean, moving cars backwards and forwards, bits and pieces, you know, they, they were they were starting to pick up bits and pieces of work. One of the girls uh, was working in a hair salon um, owned by the daughter of a member of the family. The other one was doing, um, I don't know what she was doing, nails or something. Nail bar, well, it wasn't a nail bar. Nail bars didn't exist back then. But she, she was doing nails and, and pedicures and stuff um, uh, at another place. So they all kind of, they all kind of started to fit in. And then probably, probably 18 months of knowing these guys, things had started to get quite serious. Uh, the sister that was with the member of the the low level member of the family were talking marriage there was an engagement there was a party and uh that kind of got quite you know and then the guy that was dating the girl that we knew they moved in together and that we all started to think maybe maybe these are us maybe maybe we've got this wrong 
I mean, maybe. And then something went down. There was um, a situation where the family were paid a huge amount of money. I mean, a huge amount of money to get this guy um, out of a convoy. He was being transported from London to Manchester. And to do this, he would come up the M1 and up the M6. And it was going to be fairly big. He was a big, big fucking gangster, right? Where he was from, I don't know. Um, I can only assume he was he was big Manchester. I don't know. But a plan got put together and everyone was given jobs. There must have been 40, 50 of us involved in that operation. And the idea was that we were going to cause an accident on the M6. That would cause the convoy uh, carrying this guy to stop the truck. Uh, the armoured truck that was carrying the guy uh, would be attacked. The police that were escorting this truck would be neutralised. <clears throat> it was big stuff. It was way out of my league. Way out of my league. But our role in this was to cause the second accident. So the first the first accident was going to take place uh, somewhere before the Aston Expressway, right? The A38. And we would be way behind. But uh, we would be probably a mile, two miles behind it. And... Uh, there would be a crash at a certain time. The convoy would come to a halt at the back of the crash. A whole bunch of guys would come running out of cars that were following the convoy and they would do the deed. And we, in the interim, would cause an accident a couple of miles back from where they were doing their bit and we'd block the road. So, uh, true enough, what happened was they did their bit we got a phone call to say from a spotter say it's happened do your bit so i crashed into my mate who was in another car uh, a couple of my mates were being, oh, all stolen cars all stolen cars <laughs> we um crashed into each other and the, the, we created a six car pilot uh, and we blocked everything. So we blocked the hard shoulder. We blocked the three lanes. Uh, we blocked up to the barrier. And even on the grass verge, just in case any cheeky bastard wanted to kind of skirt us, uh, we had one car halfway up a grass verge. So we crashed our bit. Now, we didn't know who was involved, right? We're just given instruction. We do our bit. And what we do is we then take the keys from the cars and we leg it up the bank, all of us, and we get the fuck out of there. And what we do is, you know, we, we've created a huge road roadblock. Nobody can get past. Traffic is going to pile up like you would not fucking believe. So there's going to be a big crowd and uh, we're up on the grass verge. We're fucking out of there. 
uh, hopefully before too many people will spot us. But there will be people on the phone to 999 kind of instantaneously when something like that happens. And over the bank, down the embankment, across a field, there is another road. There will be a minibus waiting for us. We jump in the minibus. We're gone. We're out of there. That's our job done. Okay. Now, unbeknown to us, uh, what actually happened was the three brothers, this was not the first job they'd done but one of the first jobs they'd done and they were involved in this we did our bit okay uh we ran up onto the grass verge and we got in the minibus we drove off as we drove off we were parallel on our road to where the uh convoy was and trust me it was a sea of blue lights. It was a fucking sea of blue lights. They were everywhere. Where they had come from, totally, totally beyond me. I have no idea where they came from. This was just pre-Spaghetti Junction. And the get out was going to be that uh, as soon as they grabbed this guy, got him out of the van... They were going to put him in a vehicle, spin round Spaghetti Junction, come back down the M6 that would be relatively clear because a third team had blocked the M6 the other way further up from the convoy and they would have a clear run to get back to the city to get this guy to safety. There were so many blue lights. It was, I mean, uh, yes, there was a police car in front, there was a police car behind the van that was carrying this guy. But there was way more than two two police cars there. And from what I could see from my vantage point, most of them were on the other carriageway. And it, it just became clear that something had gone horrendously tits up. Well, we just got out of there. Right, we we got out of there. We were taken back to the warehouse uh, where it was coordinated from. Um, our cars were there. We'd left our cars there, and uh, we all stood around in this warehouse. Telephone calls were coming in. Everybody looked concerned. Everybody looked worried. <clears throat> and as it happens, uh, the f the first phone call came in from the nick in birmingham uh because one of the guys was allowed a phone call and the first thing he said was everybody's nicked everybody's been arrested and when you consider the number pe number of people that were involved in that operation it's no mean feat to arrest at least 20 25 guys there must have been 50 coppers, if not more. They were tipped off. They knew it was happening. They knew exactly where it was happening. They knew everything about it. And everybody got arrested. When we, um, when the dust settled, and it was a couple of days before I heard anything else, uh, wasn't even on the news that this had happened. 
and the guy was delivered safely to Manchester uh, where he ended up in court and was remanded <clears throat> but we knew that somebody had said something and uh, immediately our thoughts are that it's this fucking family it's these three brothers it's these two girls it's mum and dad and it's granddad somebody somewhere has said something but all of the family that were involved in it the three brothers in particular they got arrested like everyone else got arrested and they were in the magistrate's court the following morning remanded so that didn't make a fucking lick of sense so anyway we're playing around the various connotations as to what this could be um a month goes by and everybody's still talking about it another month goes by and the first of the guys that got nicked because they all got remanded all of them none of them got bail they all ended up in court firearms offenses hijacking charges um perverting the course of justice the whole thing right they had the book thrown at them most of the guys were relatively low level they were above us but they were still low level so it, it didn't really affect the family that much but these three brothers <clears throat> got put on remand in winston green in exactly the same way that that everyone else got put on remand so who's the grass who was it that told the police and who was it that knew the plan to that extent that told the police and here's the twist in the tale the mum and dad it turns out when the trial came for the whole thing to you know everyone to get sent down and they were they were tried in batches so there might be five of them in the dock one day uh charged with a bunch of offenses and then five of them charged with a different bunch of offenses the mum and dad gave evidence against the kids and it turns out unfucking believably that it was the mum and dad that had grassed them up well you could have knocked me down with a feather i mean you could have literally knocked me down with a feather we're all sitting there for the best part of 18 months two years thinking that these guys might be undercover or might be plants and it turns out that these guys are as bent as a nine bob note as are the daughters as was as it turns out the granddad who had got previous and it was mum and dad that had gone to the police secret recordings had been made in the house of them talking about the plan to get this guy out the convoy mum and dad were working with the police the west midlands police and that just blew me away absolutely blew me away 
After the trials, mum and dad went into witness protection. Uh, some say that they ended up in Australia. Uh, new names, new passports, bit of money, a car, and here's a house to live in. Go to Australia and never contact your family again. How could you possibly do that to your own kids? Because all of them were affected. The three boys went down for it. One of the girls lost her partner that she was about to get married to because he was involved and he went down. The other girl was dating someone else that was involved in it and he went down. And the granddad was left in the house with the two girls. And the mum and dad had fucked off. They were gone. I tell you what, <clears throat> if ever I had trust issues, that absolutely knocked me for six. You literally, and I was, I was so guarded after that happened. I was so guarded about talking to anybody about anything. Because you genuinely cannot trust anybody. I understand mum and dad's motives. Don't get me wrong. They were probably very pissed off at the fact that their kids were into all sorts of crime this and crime that. And wanted them out of it. And maybe they thought that if they went down for a couple of years, then uh, they'd learn the error of their ways. As it happens, it doesn't work like that because you come out of prison more of a crook than you went in. But I was just amazed. How could that possibly happen? How could your own loving mother and father and for the daughter, her dad, who was paying for the wedding, how could he do that? How could they do that? But that's what they did. I think I only ever met his mom, their mum and dad once, maybe twice, at family events where we'd been invited. And they seemed like mum and dad. And that was the thing. Apart from the fact that the two of them were extremely quiet, all the rumours about granddads are retired undercover, mum and dad are the handlers, and the five kids are all fucking undercover genuine police officers. Complete bollocks. Complete and total bollocks. The three brothers were bent as nine bob notes. The two girls were at the point of in relationships with people who were fucking gangsters. The three brothers are gangsters. They were gangsters. The, the two girls were dating gangsters. The old man had done time for being a fucking gangster, be it not in Coventry, but he'd done time. And then you've got mum and dad. And butter wouldn't fucking melt. It was mad. It was mad. Reason why, uh, what, there are many reasons why I couldn't tell this story. People will know exactly who I'm talking about. 
There are people who are sitting at home at the moment, and this happened last week as well. <clears throat> Somebody got in touch with me and said, you were talking about, weren't you? And I was like, yeah. Fucking hell. And people will be exactly the same way about this. Everybody knew about this. And I tell you what, they created huge trust issues. And it was it was probably at that point that anybody that became new, anybody that got involved or tried to get involved, male, female, whatever, anybody that came into that circle that wasn't a known face, big money was paid to police officers, bent police officers, for information about these guys and their history was fucking checked. Everybody. And I saw it time and time again. From that point until the point where I stopped being involved, everybody that was new, anyone that was a new face, got checked, got vetted by the family, paying big money to bank coppers, PNC checks, history checks, prison records, dental records, whatever they could fucking get their hands on. That's the way it worked. There's a moral to this one. And this is why I really wanted to tell this story. Two things. Never underestimate people. People you think are mum and dad, butter wouldn't melt. Never underestimate. Just don't do it. And always be guarded in what you say to everybody and anybody. Because in all walks of life, that information will come back and haunt you. Trust me. This has been Ken. This has been a Ken Burton podcast story in the Unredacted series. And I really hope you've enjoyed this one. I've certainly enjoyed telling it. <laughs> There's going to be a few people come back on this one, I tell you. As ever, I will see you on the dark side. Thanks again to all the subscribers. And I will talk to you guys again next week. You all take care now.